Welcome to Center Ice. Today's July 17th. It's been a while since we recorded a show. Um, we had a little bit of trouble figuring out something to talk about because A, both of us are busy. B, there's just not a whole lot to talk about right now. But there is some hope that the playoffs will happen. They have a plan. There is a return to play plan. And while both of us have our doubts that that plan will work, it is a good plan because they're playing in Canada, which has some of the lowest COVID-19 rates in the world. And their plan for the hub cities is good. Everything is good about it, except if one thing goes wrong, it could all go wrong. And I think basically that will lead to the season being over. But hopefully it works because I think it's a good plan. And we wanted to talk about all these matchups because there's some really, really good ones here, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, before we get into the play-ins, of course, since our last show, the uh, most important event of the 2020 season for the Senators happened, and that would be the NHL Draft Lottery. And I just want to touch on that quickly before we get into the real exciting stuff. But... I mean, really, at this point, Mac, I don't think you and I can add a whole lot to what has already been said ad nauseum about what happened on the draft lottery night. I think that the NHL, you could tell right away, as soon as Bill Daly saw the NHL logo, you could see just the light in his eyes just drain. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, please, no. And, you know, the NHL, they're going to have to live with, with that. And I think it really, having a to-be-determined team, be the number one overall pick, adds just a little bit of intrigue into these plans, doesn't it? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I don't think that's how they planned it, obviously. No, um, I, obviously not. But that's that's the result of a lottery system the way the NHL system is designed. You know, you can have a team that's not very high in the lottery uh, probability win at all. It, it happens. Um, yeah. Now, absolutely. now I I will say this, Matt. If the Montreal Canadiens win that number one overall pick and select Alexi Lafreniere, there will be some people very upset because oh, yeah. that that's pretty fishy. However, mm-hmm. if it's nothing like that, and it's kind of one of those teams, like I don't know, like what's a team that you know, could win it, but like it's not Minnesota? very likely to. Right, right. If, if it's a team like that, Chicago, people will be pissed off, guaranteed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Minnesota, I, mean, I, I think I, people would be okay with. Well, yeah, I don't think you'd see a lot of people too upset if a team like Minnesota won, or even, you know, a Vancouver. I think after Montreal, the next team people would be upset about, Mac, would be Pittsburgh. Because if you think about it, let's say they win the, the draft lottery. Let's say they bow out somehow to Montreal. And now in the past 40 years, you've had Lemieux, you've had Yager, Crosby, Malkin, and then Lafreniere. That's just an insane number of really, really good, high-talented players going through Pittsburgh in, in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah. No, I think people will be pissed off if it's one of the top teams that gets him. Uh, I think if it's like a middling team, a team that kind of like squeaked into the playoffs, there won't be a lot of outrage. But if it's one of those teams that people don't like or is kind of hated around the league, people will be pissed off and for good reason, right? Well, I'll tell you what. The, the NHL, to avoid this, all they had to do was wait until the play-in rounds was done. I, I said that, I believe I said that on our last show, Mac. I said the NHL really should have just been a little more patient, and then I think you avoid all this. But they jumped the gun, and yeah. now they're going to have to deal with that. Now, yeah, before, that's a great point. Yeah. Just before we move on to the meat of this episode, I, gotta, I, I will say that from a Senator's standpoint, yeah, it's disappointing that you don't get the number one pick. But three and a five in a really deep draft year is very, very good. And the, if you think about it from an Ottawa perspective, you're going to get one of Stutzler or Byfield, and you could get potentially a Drysdale or a Raymond or a Rossi, maybe an Askarov at five. That's really good. 
Yeah, exactly. That's that's something to be excited about for sure. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, the Sens aren't in the play-ins, but I do have October draft to look forward to. And, of course, when it gets to that point, Mac and I will bring you our coverage of that, and it should be a lot of fun. But for now, let's jump into the play-ins. And are we going to start in the east or the west today, Mac? Um, Either or. What do you think? Should we do uh, west because we're more familiar yeah, we with always east? Do. Yeah, we always do East first. We'll give our Western friends some love here, Mac. And All the right. first one the first one I wrote down here was Edmonton, Chicago. And we can go we can get right into it here, Mac. You know, I wrote the first line I wrote on my notes here, Mac. I said if this was three years ago when the when the Hawks were still potential Stanley Cup contenders, imagine McDavid Drysidle versus Taves and Kane three years ago. This, the hype for this series would have been unbelievable. And I still think this could be a very good series because these are four of the best players in the league and they're going head-to-head here. Yeah, no, I think it will be fun. I just think that um, this is a different Edmonton team than we're used to seeing. Like, I think last year if the Oilers had made the playoffs, they would have been kind of a, a similar team to what the Blackhawks are right now, which is a team that has some great offensive weapons, but is porous defensively and has questionable goaltending. Whereas you look at Edmonton now, Matt, I mean, they are an excellent defensive team. They have completely turned around their identity under Dave Tippett. Like, like look back to last year, and I was doing some research before this episode, these stats are staggering, okay? So last year, you were 13th in power play efficiency and 30th in penalty kill percentage. This year, second in penalty kill percentage and number one in power play efficiency. That is incredible. What a turnaround. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely incredible. And it just shows you how important good coaching is in the NHL. I'd say more than pretty much any other major North American sport, coaching is important because there's so many systems that you have to have your players in on. And I think that Tippett's got all his players bought into the system they're running and everyone's playing for one another. And yeah, you've got McDavid and Drysaddle, which of course really bolsters that roster. But you're right, the defense really has turned it around and the goaltending is quite good. I, I wrote in my prediction here, Mac, I've done it, in the number of games I think they'll, each team will win. I have the mm-hmm. Oilers w- winning in four because with Taves and Kane, I feel as though the Hawks might just be able to steal one. But I don't mm. see the, you know, I, w- I was hesitant to give them four, but I can't, I can't count Patrick Kane, Mac. I could see him stealing one. And I also wrote that the Oilers basically, in every category, outplay the Blackhawks here. The Hawks are pretty much, they didn't expect to be here. They thought they were going to be in the draft lottery. And yeah, yeah. with Tate and Kane, I could see them stealing a game. I don't see them stealing a round. And I have Edmonton in four. What about you? Yeah, well, before I make my pick here, I did want to speak a little bit to their offense this year. Um, you know, Kane led the way with 84 points. Jonathan Tays. 60 points while doing Jonathan Tay's things, being a great two-way player. Still an incredible player, even at his age. And give credit to uh, Dominic Kubelik, who's a rookie, and he scored 30 goals and was a finalist for the Calder Trophy with 46 points. Debrink had a little bit of a disappointing season with 45 points, but still not bad. Dylan Strom only had 38 points. Now, here's the thing, like like you said, um, you make this matchup three, four years ago, this is, a, this is a whole different situation, but now you've got the Oilers with the best duo in the league in Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, and <laughs> an excellent power play and an excellent penalty kill against a Blackhawks team that relies on Kane and Taze and goalies to steal them games and is not good defensively. Like, you see where I'm going with this? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Oilers in three. Well, I will add one more thing here, Mac, and it, it rings true to the Maple Leafs as well. They're the only two teams in this entire thing that aren't away from home. They, this is home cooking for them, and yeah, they're inside the bowl, but these are their home arenas. They're used to playing there, and there's no crowds, of course, but I, I do think it will impact it just a little at certain points, especially when you get farther into these play-ins and playoffs. I think being yeah. able to be in your home city will add yeah. a bit, just a little bit of an advantage. And we're both unanimous Oilers in four. So which series do you want to do next, Mac? Uh, let's get some Canadian content in here. Let's go Winnipeg and Calgary. All right. I, I think this is going to be one of the most even series here, Mac. I think that Edmonton and – sorry, Calgary and Winnipeg are – I wouldn't say they're on the same trajectory, but, you know, in terms of just how they are and how they've matched up when they've played in the regular season, I think this could be a real exciting series. And it, the, in terms of the Jets' offense, Mac, it, I actually give the Jets an edge because Winnipeg's got a, a great top six, and so do, and Calgary's got a pretty good one, but I'd say where Winnipeg gets the edge on offense here, Mac, is their bottom six. I think it's a lot more short up than Calgary's. You and I have been talking about this all year, that Calgary, once you get their top one, two lines off the ice, it really drops off. And where I think the bottom six is really going to be important this year is that you're going to have some back-to-backs in these plans. They're condensing the schedule. They're trying to get it done before October. So you're going to have some stretches where you're going to be playing a lot of games. And I think you're going to have to see that bottom six out there even more than you would in a regular Stanley yeah, that that's a good point. Um, this is a, this is kind of a tough one for me because I guess what I have to decide here is what this comes down to is two things. Number one, goaltending, and the second thing I feel is can the Calgary Flames play kind of a tough physical game with the Jets because you know Paul Maurice is going to have them playing a tough physical game not many penalties. That's how they play when they're at their best. You have guys like Blake Wheeler, Patrick Laine has really improved his defensive game this year. You've got big guys like Adam Lowry, you know, good defensive players that they can rely on. Whereas I, every time I see uh, this Calgary group, who is a little bit tougher, I'll give them that, you know, Matt Kachuk is a pretty tough and annoying player to play against. And they do have, some toughness in that lineup. Well, like I don't Sam know Benning. if you can. I don't know if you can hold your own against a pretty big Winnipeg team who has a better top six than you do. Better goaltending, defense is about even, and I think is better coached as well. I agree on the better coach one. I'm going to disagree with you on the goaltending. I barely. You can disagree with this, Matt, but I barely gave. The Flames the edge on goaltending, mostly because I think the Flames have a better tandem. I think Riddich and uh, Talbot are their stats aren't as good as Hellebuck, but I'd say let's say Hellebuck goes down in the play-ins. Now you got to bring in Brossois, and Brossois isn't bad, Mac. But I think of the tandems, if you have to have the backup in there, I think Riddich and Talbot, especially with the condensed schedule, that can give they can play the t- tandem. We were debating that earlier back in March when the regular playoffs were going to go on. We were saying Calgary could play in a tandem in the playoffs. And I, I don't see why they won't do it here, especially when they're playing back-to-backs. So I'm going to give Calgary the slight edge on goaltending here, Mac. But I would I would agree with you on everything else. I think that the physicality from Winnipeg is good. And I think the raw skill from Winnipeg also wins out a little more too. I think you've got some more pure skilled forwards than Calgary does that can also play that grit. But Calgary is certainly going to give them a run for their money. They've got a chip on their shoulder from last year. But I've got the Jets winning this one in five. Yeah. No, I I understand what you mean when you say the tandem. The tandem is better for Calgary, and it was a tandem this year. Um, You know, Talbot actually outplayed Riddich for the most part, which – you know, Cam Talbot hasn't had a great season since that 
Vezina caliber season he had with the Oilers. It's been a bit of a tough run for him, but he was excellent this year. Um, the other big difference here between the Flames production last year and this year is Mark Giordano. I mean, he had 74 points and had the Norris Trophy last year. This year, 31 points. It's a major drop-off. And, you know, from a from memories of the Senators, when a guy like a Carlson or a Giordano isn't going, it really does affect your production. And you certainly hope that with the rest that he's had, he can he can start to bring up some production because against the Jets, and if they're going to go far in these playoffs, they need to have him going. Yeah, and I think you and I are both firm believers in this is this is the Flames' core group's last shot, really, kind of the older core group, if you know what I mean, like Goudreau, Monaghan, etc., at proving that they still belong and they're worth keeping around because – I don't think ownership has a whole lot more patience with guys like that right now. I mean, obviously, you have guys like Rasmus Anderson and Matt Kachuk and Lindholm. Those guys are really good, and you probably want to keep around. But there certainly are questions about Monaghan and Gaudreau. You know, I don't think you'd want to move someone like a Backlund, but it'll be fascinating. I mean, I hope that they that they uh, prove me wrong and kind of compete with the Jets and make this a really good series. But I just don't see that happening. Um, no, and I, I have a someone... sweep for the Jets. Uh, sorry, not a sweep. What am I talking about? I have a 3-1 series for the Jets, so Jets in four. Hmm. Well, I think if any of the series are going to go to five, I think it could, it could be that one because it, it's pretty even. The Jets are the better team. I don't think a lot of people are going to question you, us on that one. But, I mean, I certainly, from a Flames fan perspective, Mac, you, you certainly hope that this team gets something done because we've been waiting for how many years, and especially for Goudreau and Monaghan. This is the prove-it time. This is where they can prove that they're still worth keeping around. Yeah, absolutely. All right. On to our next series, the Vancouver Canucks and Minnesota Wild. Minnesota, once again, I say in a similar position to the Chicago Blackhawks, Mac, where they definitely weren't expecting to be in the playoffs come back in January, yet here they are and they've got a chance to potentially make some noise here. Mac, what is your analysis on the Canucks and Wild here? Um, I mean, this is kind of a, another big contrast in styles because – Minnesota is like a throwback, dump-and-chase defense-first team, and I would have a little more faith in them if they had a little more offense, but they really don't have a lot. I mean, you look at their offense, Matt. You have Kevin Fiala, who did have 54 points and a career high. He had an excellent season. You've got Ryan Suter. Everybody knows how good he is. He had 48 points while locking down his own part of the ice. Eric Stahl, 47 points. Zach Parise, 45. Kind of not a great season for Matt Zuccarello, who only had 37 points. So there's that. That I'm a little concerned about. But now let's get to what I'm even more concerned about, and that's the goaltending. I mean, Devin Dubnik and Alex Stalock, not great seasons. Dubnik had a Goals against average over three and a sub-900 save percentage. That ranked, I believe, second worst in the league to Jimmy Howard on Detroit. Yeah, it was was a little better with a 2.67 goals against average and 9.10 save percentage. But, I mean, to me, when you compare the goaltending, there's no comparison. The fact that no. I could I could put either Demko and Markstrom in and feel more comfortable than whoever Minnesota's putting in. <laughs> and also, the offense, there's way more depth on Vancouver. I don't know if their defense is as good, but it's close. Um, and, yeah, I just... You know, I think Vancouver... Vancouver has a chance here to be a really dangerous team in the playoffs because, A, you've got a little bit more depth, especially with the great season that JT Miller had. Um, 
you know, everybody knows how good Elias Pettersson is. Bo Horvat is capable of playing a two-way game, and he put up over 50 points. You still have Brock Besser. You still have Tanner Pearson. Uh, Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes, finalist for the Calder Trophy. He might win it. And then you've got Demko and Mark Shermanette. They are set up very well for at least this series and maybe even beyond. Absolutely. I think Vancouver is... I, I wouldn't. Would you quite call them a dark horse, Mac? Because I know there's a lot of people saying that Vancouver could really go far, but I think Vancouver. No, I, I think that's fair because they're kind of they're one of the last teams to get in, right? And and all the talk is about the the top contenders like I don't know Philly and Boston, Washington, St. Louis, Colorado, etc. Right? Yeah, absolutely. My one concern with Vancouver, Mac, is there were times, particularly down the stretch before the season got cancelled, where the Canucks were mighty inconsistent, particularly on the road. And I know that doesn't mean much right now because every team is basically on the road. But it, it does raise some interesting questions as to how consistent is Vancouver going to be. I don't think they're going to lose to Minnesota, certainly not. But I think that when they get in farther into the playoffs, the consistency is what concerns me. There were times where one game I would see Vancouver and they would put up a really good game against a good team, and then they would come to Ottawa and lose 5-2, to two to, for example. And I know Vancouver's better than that. So I think Vancouver, they've got a real good shot here. This is a golden opportunity, and... The, the best part for Vancouver right now, Mac, is that their window is just opening. Unlike some other teams on this list where this is, you know, their shot, this Vancouver is just opening the window. Their guys will get some valuable experience. They should at least make it into the first round of the actual playoffs, and we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, absolutely. And before we wrap on Vancouver, um, even though Markstrom wasn't named a finalist for the Vesna Trophy, I mean, you're talking about a guy who obviously he didn't play as much as a Connor Hellebuck, but pretty similar in terms of this guy basically carrying his team every time he's out there. I mean, I, I think I watched a game when um, Vancouver was playing Chicago, and Chicago was just clobbering him with shots and grade-A chances. I think he had something like 53 saves in the game and Vancouver won the game. And I was like, my God. I mean, this is the this is the Jakob Markstrom I saw when he was a top plate prospect. And this is what I envisioned he was going to become. And obviously he's that in full flight now. Well, absolutely. This is That's what good goaltending can do for you, Mac. There's times when your team will come out flat and your goaltender will bail you out. So... Markstrom, I think, is a big X factor in this playoffs run for the Canucks. If he's going, there's really no limit to how far the Vancouver Canucks can go. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So we're both picking the Canucks, right? Yeah. What's what? Are you doing three or four? I don't see you taking the the. Canucks I think Minnesota five. could steal one. I'll go four. I went four as well. I think Minnesota, they've got enough veteran presence there that they could take a game. But they're not going to take the series. All right. Um, get your Predator. pillows ready. We got one last series to talk about. Yeah, Predators and Coyotes. And, <laughs> and, and look, look, we know we have fans of both teams that listen to our show, and, that, and that's fine. But I'd say of all the play-in series that they're doing, this is the uh, – most boring one. And he, here's my prediction, Matt. I'm just going to come right out and say it. I'll skip the analysis for a moment. The Coyotes are going to win this series, Matt. I think that the Predators, they've been on a bit of a downfall for a while. And yeah, Arizona isn't all that great themselves. But you've got Schmaltz, Keller. You've got Phil the Thrill. And, you know, Mac and I love Phil the Thrill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you've got, you've got Taylor Hall. This is, I'd say, compared to the Nashville Predators, the Arizona Coyotes just have a bit more firepower. And 
I will say, whichever team wins this, this series, I don't. I think they're going to be out in round one. I will say that much. But the, the Predators, I think we've talked about them quite a bit during this shutdown of the season. We've stated our opinions before that the Predators need to retool, and I don't think that's changed since our uh, pretend-to-be-a-GM episode, Mac. No, no, you're right. And, like, the concerns for Nashville, there's many. First of all, Pekka Rene had an awful season. He finished 53rd in save percentage for goalies. 53rd. And he had a goals against average over three. Those are both career-worst numbers for him. Um, You do have UC Saros, who took over and was playing pretty well down the stretch, but... I think goaltending is still a concern for Nashville. Um, in terms of offense, they do have Roman Yossi, who you and I both had a feel great is, is probably one of the best defensemen in the league. You know, top oh, five, no doubt. And then Philip Forsberg had 48 points. Matt Duchesne had 42. Ryan Johansson had 36. And then it kind of drops off after that. Um, the thing about the Predators is they do have kind of game breakers right you have a Forsberg who can really take over a series and you have Roman Yossi who like we said is one of the best defensemen in the league in both areas of the ice so there is that but I don't feel good enough about the Predators being able to play against a very good defensive team in Arizona with very 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 good goaltending uh, overcoming this hurdle here. I just, and like you said, I think we can analyze this all we want, but the fact of the matter is the Coyotes are a defense first team with two excellent goalies, Kemper, 928 save percentage, Ranta, 921. I mean, like, that is ridiculous. <laughs> um, and the Predators. Isn't even on the same level. Yeah, exactly. And the Predators are what used to be a defense first team. I don't even know what the Predators are now, Matt. They're they're a, they're a team on decline. Yeah, they're <laughs> they're no longer the old um, stifling defense Predators we once knew. So, yeah, I mean to to make things nice and short, I agree with you. Like, I just don't see this see this going Nashville's way, and I think the Coyotes. Um, will win this series. I'm taking the Coyotes in four. I, I'm taking the Coyotes in five because as much as we've just uh, picked on Nashville for five minutes here, Mark, they still have some good players there like Yossi and Forsberg. And I think they have enough that they could steal a couple games because let's be honest, the Coyotes, although they've got much better goaltending and they've got a younger and I'd say better forward and defensive group, the Predators are still half decent. And there's no reason why they can't take a couple games here. But I, I really do think that after the Predators get eliminated, I think it, I think you're going to see some real changes. And that's something we can get into in another episode, of course. But I just think the Predators, I wouldn't say dominance of the Central, but reign of playoffs the past four or five years is coming to an end. And unless there's some serious retooling done in the offseason, the decline is going to continue. Oh, yeah. I'm with you there, for sure. <laughs> hey, right. hey, Matt, I just remembered something. Yes. You don't have to talk about the Sharks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, I could have brought up the fact that the third overall pick was San Jose's pick, but that's just too cruel to me to do, right? Right, right. Let's avoid that. Yeah, I mean... Forget you even mentioned it. Yeah, forget about it. I feel for you, Sharks fans. I really do. All right. On to the East. Let's hop into the series that you have the most emotional attachment to here, Mac. The mm. Leafs versus the Blue Jackets. And, you know, I expect the Leafs to win this one, Mac. But I, I, I certainly don't think Torts will make it easy. Torts is a, a strict defensive type guy. He, he, he runs a tight ship over there in Columbus. And he's going to give the Leafs all the Blue Jackets have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, these two teams played twice, which is surprising considering they're in the same conference. Um, the first matchup was a 4-1 win for Toronto. 
while the second was a 4-3 win for the Blue Jackets in overtime. Uh, like you said, it'll be a, a really tough series for the Leafs, and it could easily go Columbus's way, and I'm being honest when I say that. Um, it really depends on how the series goes. If the series is low-scoring, kind of the way Columbus wants to play, that's an advantage for them. But if the Leafs can, you know, the Leafs' top guns can make Columbus's defense uncomfortable and they start pushing the score up to, like, you know, 4-3, 4-2 kind of games, that's going to go in the Leafs' favor. Because if the it gets to a point where Columbus is trading chances with Toronto, Toronto's going to beat them. I think you and I agree on that. Yeah, I think... Columbus, if they want to win, they need to get Toronto playing their style because you and I have said it many times before, if Toronto is playing that low-scoring defensive first game, and I will, I will say up front here, Matt, that the four months off has really helped the Leafs in terms of defense. They've gotten some of their guys back, and that mm-hmm. will help them a lot. But you, as long as you have Cody CC on your first or second pairing, I think we still have some concerns there. And you and I both said that going into the offseason, Kyle Dubas was going to make some changes on the defensive front. But right now you're stuck with the defense you've got. And Columbus easily takes the defense for me. And Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, it goes opposite in terms of scoring. I think if the Leafs can open up the ice and get the puck moving and get their top guns scoring and getting the puck on Corpusallo often it'll go to the Leafs yeah and before we wrap on this um I do want to touch on a couple more things I could talk about Matthews and Marner and Taveras all I wanted but there's a couple guys I want to highlight and that's uh William Nylander and Zach Hyman Nylander to me um just continues to improve year after year um he really went to the front of the net in the dirty area year which is great to see for a young skilled player really before this season he was more of a perimeter player that just relied on his shot and making passes racking up points on the power play but that all changed this year so so give him credit he had a great season yeah he did and i'm gonna be curious to see how guys like like nyquist and dubois do in this in this five, I, I I have this going to five, Mac. I don't know about you. But, you know, in a three to five game series, anything can happen. And I think that's a point we really need to emphasize here, Mac. The, the layoff has been the equivalent of what a normal offseason would be in the NHL. So it's really tough to say what conditions all these teams will be when they hit the ice. We could see the Leafs come out flat and we could see the Blue Jackets fire on all cylinder. And I think that the... Uh, the Blue Jackets are going to be a handful for the Leafs. I do got to ask you this one question, Max. Since you mm. are a Leafs fan, if the Leafs get eliminated, yeah, what do you do next? Because yeah, you've got it now. You've got a shot at Lafreniere, and and you talk about the league melting down. If Lafreniere went to Toronto, Mac, oh, oh man, yeah. <laughs> but um, that's a that's a great question. But I I think you kind of have to stay the course because. I think both of us have already determined that a guy like Tyson Berry and Cody CC they're not coming back next year. No. Um, there's questions whether Freddie Anderson's future is with them. And I don't really know. I, I like Freddie Anderson, but he's overworked. He's not as good as he used to be. And he's in his 30s now. Um, and there are other options for the Leafs out there in terms of goaltending. Um You've got Rasmus Sandin, who's who's going to be probably a regular next year. Timothy Liljegren is a little more of a project, but he still has a bright future. So to me, I don't I don't think there's a whole lot you can do other than I think the biggest thing is you probably have to trade. Um, I think probably Andreas Janssen will be the one to go. I think they're going to keep capping him. And you'll trade him for a defenseman. You know, maybe you move him to like a Minnesota for a Jonas Brodin. Like, that would be a perfect move for the Leafs. Yeah. One of the things that complicates things for teams like the Leafs and the Lightning is the fact that it's going to be a flat salary cap for the next couple of years. And thankfully for the Leafs, they're not 
absolutely right against the Cats, but I, I think it'll uh, it'll complicate things a little bit for Dubis here. And I, I'm certainly going to be very curious to see how this offseason goes because it's going to be one like no other when we eventually <laughs> get to that. But my prediction, Leafs in five, Blue Jackets will make it a fun series. It'll be exciting. I've got it pegged as the best series in the East. I don't know about you, Mac, but it's oh. going to be a fun one. Leafs in five. Yeah, I've got the Leafs in five as well. Uh, and I think, like I said, I think this is going to be a great series. And I could easily see Columbus winning in five or even in four. I don't know. Um, it really, I think it depends on who starts out really well. Because if you look back to the series against Tampa, that really Columbus dominated from, what was it, the second period second on period. in the first game of the series? Like, mm-hmm. after they had really dominated that first game, they had basically taken all the wind out of the sails from Tampa Bay. And you it showed the rest of the series. So I think if you're playing like a defense first team, like a Columbus or an Arizona, you need to get that first game. You need to get that win. Absolutely. And, and I think if you're the Leafs, if you get it to a game, if you're in game four or even game three and it's, and you're up and you've got the Blue Jackets on the brink of elimination, you got to finish the job in that game. We've seen it before happen many times before with Boston. And I think, if you're the Leafs, you got to finish the job well, they're down. Anyways, let's move on to the Canadians versus the Penguins. And, Mac, I wrote my first line on my notes for this one is that Bergevin is the luckiest GM in the league because, really, you can't go wrong with any outcome here, Mac. If you win, great. You can say, look at my team. I've done a good job. We're moving on to the playoffs. And, then, and if you lose... You say, oh, well, we didn't expect to be in the playoffs anyways, and now we've got a 12% shot or whatever it is at Lafreniere. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I don't know if the fans feel that way, though. Mm. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I would agree with you on that. I know a lot of Montreal fans are saying, just bow out to the Penguins so we can get a shot at Lafreniere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I, I don't condone tanking. I never have. But I don't blame Montreal fans. You, you, you didn't expect to make the playoffs. You didn't. Let's be honest. They don't really want to be in the playoffs. They would have rather have been in the in the uh, entry draft with all the seven other teams. They were. I think didn't they finish? Yeah, they finished eighth last in the league, from what I remember. So really, they could they should have been in the NHL draft lottery a few weeks ago, and now they're playing hockey against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And the one thing I will say about the Montreal Canadiens is that they have no expectations. And you and I both know from lots of experience that that can make a team very dangerous come playoff time. That's true. Yeah. And I think before we really announce our picks here, let's let's talk about this matchup because to me this is a really interesting matchup. Um I think the time off will really help a young team like like Montreal, uh, but it will also help Pittsburgh. And the thing is here, um, these are two teams that play kind of different styles. Uh, the Penguins, a little more high scoring, a little better defensively. Obviously, they have a lot of guys who have won. You know, Malkin, Crosby, the list goes on and on. Um they're not the same powerhouse they once were. I think that much is clear, but they're still very dangerous. Um, I don't really know what to expect from Tristan Jari or Matt Murray. Because, yes, Tristan Jari had a great season, and I'm not shooting that down. But he's also a rookie. He has no NHL playoff experience. And Matt Murray can either be really good or not so good. So it'll be interesting to see who they turn to in that. And then on the other side for Montreal, I think Carey Price had his ups and downs this year. He was not consistent at all. And yes, it is a very young Montreal team in front of him, but I mean, he hasn't been at his best lately either. So I guess 
I wonder what you're going to see in terms of goaltending. Are you going to see maybe a high-scoring series and the goaltenders don't play very well, or is it going to be kind of in the middle, not quite high-scoring, not quite low-scoring? Um, I really don't know what to expect here. It's a tough call. I wrote down that Carey Price is always going to be an X-factor no matter wh- how his season went. It's been four months. He's had some rest, and Carey Price could come out and he could absolutely steal this series for the Montreal Canadiens. It's a very real possibility. We've seen it before. On the opposite side, Mac, the Penguins will get a boost from uh, Jake Gensel, and he went out in in late February with a pretty nasty injury, and he's back now. And I'm not sure how he'll be. He just got cleared to play. But if he can perform at a level that we've seen him play in the playoffs in past years, that's a big boost to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's a, a very good playoff performer. And, you know, if you look at who has the advantage in terms of experience and offense and on all that, I mean, it's Pittsburgh, clearly, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like you've got Malkin, but... Crosby, Gensel, you mentioned. Um, whereas, like, you look at you compare the two teams and you have like Thomas Tatar with 61 points, Philip Deneau, who's mostly a defensive center had 47 points. And then it goes down and down. Max Domi Gallagher, 44, Gallagher, 43, Suzuki, 41. And then it goes to Jeff Petrie, who had 40, very good season for him. And Shea Weber with 36. Yeah. Once you pass Shea Weber, everyone's got 30 points or less. And yeah, it's a young team. But that is a little concerning. You can see there's a real disparity in scoring in Montreal, right? Yeah, and uh, I mentioned Carey Price. I mean, 2.79 goals against average, 9.09 save percentage. That's 32nd league-wide in both those stats. That is not good. No. That's that's dead last in terms of starting goaltenders, presumably. It is, yeah, yeah. And Carey Price is going to have to be better. Otherwise, this is going to be a quick series. And there certainly is the expectation from Montreal fans that it will be a pretty quick series. But, you know, we've seen teams surprise us before. And I'd say this, if any year it's going to be an upset, this is the year where we're going to see some upsets because there's teams that weren't even supposed to be in the playoffs that are having a shot to make it. Yeah, and before we wrap on this, this series, I do have to mention the Edmonton Oilers and another bad trip they made. So John Marino is a player we need to give more attention to. He was acquired from the Oilers, Matt, for a sixth-round draft pick, a conditional sixth-round draft pick. So Mm -hmm. you didn't sign him. You traded him away for basically nothing. And he's in the conversation for the Calder Trophy despite not being nominated. Talk about a bad trade for the Oilers. Oh, yeah. It just tells you how bad Shirelli was when he was GM. (laughs) All right. Uh, All right, yeah. Let's keep going here. We're almost finished. Islanders and Panthers, Mac. This one, uh, you know... Uh, This is another just... It's not a very sexy matchup. No. And, you know, I... But... One team has a clear advantage here because of experience and just our faith in their system, right? Yeah. Obviously, it would be the New York Islanders. I think the Islanders, much higher expectations than the Panthers this year. Wouldn't say they lived up to every expectation, but they had a pretty good run of things this year, Mac. And the big thing that hesitates me from giving anything to really giving anything to the Panthers here, Mac, is the fact that Bobrovsky was just really inconsistent. He wasn't playing in front of the greatest team, but I think you and I both expected more from him. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I get that they're not a great defensive team, but he looked... (laughs) He had times when he looked like old Sergei Bobrovsky, and I was like, wow, you know, he's really on his game today, but I didn't see that a whole lot this year. And it is a big change when you move from a market like Columbus all the way to Florida. It's a completely different hockey market. 
you know, it's, it's not easy on your family, et cetera. Having said that, I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone expected that he played this poorly in his debut season, especially when you spend what, $10 million on him per year. Yeah. 10 million. Um, so, so here's the thing, like, I think the season series is a good indicator of, of who has the advantage. I mean, the Islanders swept the season series three nothing, and they outscored Florida eight to four. So every game was low scoring, and they they grinded out those wins. They had excellent goaltending, excellent defense. They got just enough offense. That's how they play. And the thing is, come playoff time, Barry Trotz is only going to have them focus even more on defense. So that just does not bode well for the Florida Panthers, and. I mean, let's be honest, Matt. They're, the Panthers are a total wild card here. Like, yeah, you're right. We they could play really well and they could win this series, or they could do what kind of we expect them to do and lose in three games. <laughs> like, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, the the Panthers are really the biggest wild card in here because you and I both know full well that the Florida Panthers have some real good weapons in their system. You just look at their stats from this year, Mac. You got Huberto leading the team with 78 points. That was, he had a really good year this year. And then you got Barkov with 62. Hoffman had a pretty good year with 59 points. Dadnoff had 47. Yandel had 45. And Aaron Eckblad had 41 points. So your top guys, for the most part, were having a pretty good year. It's just everything else really wasn't going how you wanted it to go. And I think if Florida can get their top guys going and just have a, a stretch of decent hockey, they could very well win this play-in round. Yeah, they could. I mean, I, we'll see. We, like, I don't really know what to expect here, but I just know that I, I trust. I trust Barry Trotz. I trust the Islanders system. They know how to play. They know how to win these kind of games and series. And I just... I don't think the Panthers are good enough to beat them right now. So I'm I'm saying a sweep for the Islanders. I'm saying uh, Islanders in four. I think that the Panthers are just good enough to steal the game. As you mentioned, it, all games they met they met against each other were pretty low scoring, grind them out hockey, and the Panthers could grind one out if Bobrovsky has a good game. But both you and I know that it's not an inevitability that the Islanders are going to win. But if I was a betting man, I'd definitely put money on the island. Yeah, that's fair. All right, let's uh, wrap up on the East here with probably my favorite matchup other than Columbus and Toronto, and that's Carolina versus the New York Rangers. Yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing with you on that one completely, Mac. This one is a very intriguing one to me because both teams, especially when you look standings-wise, Mac, are kind of in about the same same place they're within a couple points of one another the Raiders finished with 79 and the Hurricanes finished with 81 so both teams very interesting especially the Rangers you know the Rangers start didn't start off very well early in the season but as the season went along they they improved they got better and Artemi Panarin so definitely worth every penny they're paying in New York. Led the way for the Rangers with 95 points. And, of course, my favorite ex-senator, Mika Zibanejad, with 75 points there as well. He, got, he potted 41 goals to lead the Rangers in scoring. And, you know, those two alone certainly give the Rangers a lot of hope in this series. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and... The other thing is for Carolina, I mean, again, this is one where I take a lot in terms of the season series. Like, the Rangers swept the season series against the Hurricanes, and they outscored them 17-9. to So, really, they were in control of every single game in the season series. And when these two teams matched up, like you said, it was Panarin, it was Zabinijad, it was the good goaltending that got the Rangers over the hump in all of those games. Now, having said that, the Hurricanes are a little more of a sure thing in terms of what they have. They have probably 
not probably. I think they do have the best decor in the league. I mean, the fact that they've been without Dougie Hamilton for so long and he'll be back for the playoffs, and you acquired Brady Shea from the aforementioned Rangers. He should be motivated to play against um, the team that traded him away, mostly because of uh, Tony D'Angelo's production. Um, So, yeah, I mean... This will be fun because both of these teams, despite some of their star players, are still very young. And it's going to be fast. It's going to be fun. There's going to be great goaltending. There's going to be a lot of skill. Um, There's going to be good defense. I think the most interesting thing here, Matt, is everybody knows how good Henrik Lundqvist has been in his career in the playoffs. Do you turn to him in this series? Or do you play Shostjorkin or um, Georgiev here? It's a tough call. It it is a tough one, and I I don't envy the Rangers staff that has to make it. And I don't think you do either, Matt, but I think you have to go with your young, better goaltenders. I love King Henrik. You and I watched a Rangers series from 2012 earlier in the spring when there was no hockey. And he was absolutely lights out. But that's not the Henrik Lundqvist that's playing in the NHL anymore. And I'd say Shesterkin and Gorgiev are the goaltenders that give you the best chance to win here, Mac. So I think the Rangers would be smart to play them in a tandem, especially in these in the best of five series. It's going to be a tight schedule, as I mentioned earlier. And you got to take every advantage you can get. There's no... Not that there's a lot of room for error in a seven-game series, Mac, but particularly in a five-game series, there's no room for error whatsoever. One bad game, and that could be it. The momentum shifts to the other team, and it's gone. So I think you got to go with your young, I wouldn't quite say proven yet goaltenders, but certainly your future goaltenders. And for the Rangers, even if you end up losing this series, there was no guarantee you were going to make the playoffs anyways. And Worst case scenario, you get a shot at Lafreniere. It's not the, it's not the wor- worst thing in the world. Yeah, and um, I think another big difference here is offense. Like, you've got a great top line with the Hurricanes, with Aho, Teravainen, and Svechnikov. But other than that, I mean, they don't really have too much firepower. They have Justin Williams, and y- you know he's got great playoff pedigree but then you have like Nikosh, like Warren Fogel like Ryan Dezingle there's not like Jordan Stahl there's not a whole lot there if you look past that really good top line like I said having said that their defense is absolutely ridiculously good I think what this comes down to is goaltending and I I just don't have faith in Peter Mrazek here um because Peter Mrazek's a good goaltender, don't get me wrong, but I don't think he's a guy that can really make a difference in a playoff series. No, and I think a, a lot of people around the league, and I'll put ourselves in that category, would say the Hurricanes are on a very good path here, but what, they need, what they've needed to upgrade is the goaltending, and they haven't done that yet. And I certainly give the Rangers the edge in goaltending, even if they had to put Lundqvist in there for a game he could still very well steal a game or two for for them there. And I think the other reason I give the Rangers the edge is just a little more star power there, Mac, if that makes any sense. I like the Hurricanes, and I I wouldn't be surprised to see them win it either. But I think the Rangers have have a little more scoring power. Yeah, their defense isn't as good as the Hurricanes, but whose is? But if the Rangers can get, get moving the puck, Get sh- get some good shots on goal. Let Panarin and Zibanejad do their thing, particularly if they continue playing the way they were before the shutdown. I think the Rangers are going to win this, but I think it's going to be a five-game series, and it's not going to be an easy one for either team to win. Yeah, and you mentioned obviously their their top end guys, but you also have Kreider, you have Ryan Strom. You know, maybe Capo Caco really starts to make an impact in the playoffs, like. You have a lot of depth there, forward-wise. Um, and I think, like you said, the, um, the Rangers definitely have the advantage goaltending-wise. So I'll take the Rangers in four. Um, I think the Rangers have a chance to, to go on a bit of a run here. 
Yeah, I think any team that wins these play-ins, Mac, has a real opportunity to go on a run with the exception of the Arizona-Nashville series. Not to pick on that <laughs> one again, but just yeah. calling it like we see it here, Mac. Yeah. You know, these play-ins, I, I will say this, Mac, when they happen, enjoy them because I think this is a a once-in-a-lifetime event. I don't see the NHL sticking with this in the future. I think they know that this is something they're doing out of circumstance and not because they want to. It's the most fair way to decide the playoffs. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Both of us still have our concerns on the coronavirus front, but just to quickly wrap on that one, Mac, I think of the restart plans that I've seen from the other leagues. The NHL certainly has the most well-thought-out one. They seem to have the players that are the most willing to follow these rules. And the NHL, if something goes wrong, I think they're the league that won't panic and they'll do the right thing. Yeah, I agree. Totally. I I really hope it works because I miss hockey so much and I think it's a good plan. Like you said, they're playing in Canada. Um, they've got teams staying at different hotels. They're basically committed to living in a bubble. It seems like all the players have kind of bought in. The question is, do they respect the rules enough to kind of, you know, play your games and basically, like, like go back to your hotel room? Um, and remember, like, it's only for, what, three months? Like, if you do it for three months and it works, then you get to go back home to your family. And then basically the next season is kind of proposed to start in what, January? Uh, December 1st is what I've been told. Right. So, yeah. so you, still, you still have enough time to go home, spend it with your family, um, do like a kind of shortened off season, do the draft, etc. You know, I think it certainly could work. I hope it works. Like I said, you know, you and I both have our doubts, but we're very hopeful. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in terms of next season, Mac, from what I've heard, the NHL doesn't want to get going until they can get some fans safely in the stadium again. And, you know, I don't blame them one bit on that one because it makes up a lot of revenue for them. It's 40% of the league's revenue every year. And I think they, the, if they had just started the season, Mac, I don't think we'd be doing it. I think they would have just said, this season's a write-off and we'll see you when we can do it again safe. But because we've gotten so far into the season we got to finish it out at this point and i i think with all the developments we're making on a potential vaccine and particularly here in canada with how we've been dealing with the coronavirus i think that the nhl could very well return early next year even with a bit of restrictions in place the one interesting thing i will bring up quickly mac is that I was talking with some friends in Toronto, and we brought up the fact that let's say Canada continues with good numbers on coronavirus, Mac. Let's say we get through the winter and things are going well here. Let's say Canada is ready to have sports as per mostly normal again, but the U.S. isn't. That makes a very interesting situation for the NHL. But obviously it's not one you and I are going to have to deal with, thankfully. Yeah, for sure. Um, anything else we wanted to add before we wrap up this episode, Matt? Uh, well, the, you mentioned awards briefly, and I, you and I have agreed we're going to save awards for when they get a little closer because we don't know when they're going to be done yet. The NHL announced every potential date except that, so we will have to wait and see. But I, I will give a shout-out to uh, Bobby Ryan, who is a finalist for the Masterton Award. The Masterton Award is not one that I envy voting for because all three, and really all 31 players that are nominated for that, deserve it. Uh, I, Bobby Ryan, he's a real trooper. He had a really rough upbringing. If you've never seen the Sportsnet documentary, it's on YouTube, all about Bobby Ryan. Incredible story. A, a very nice guy. Does lots of good work here in the community. And... He fought his inner demons, and what a return back to the NHL. And certainly hoping that he'll be in the sen- with the Senators when camp starts again, and he'll have an impact again. But wanted to give a sh- quick shout-out to Bobby Ryan there, Mac. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything you said, totally true. Very selfless guy. I've never met him myself, but I've heard nothing but good things. And, um, you know, I, I was watching that game when he came back. Didn't he score a hat trick, wasn't it? He, he did. I was there. Yeah, yeah. that was that was got awesome. The power yeah. of sport is, is really incredible, especially and that's, in situations like yeah, that. That's one of the... That's one of the reasons why I think there's so many people so excited for all sports to return because the power of sport is so strong. And it's a, it's a distraction, but I think it's an important distraction, especially when times are tough, which is why Mac and I are wanting this, to, really hoping this will work because obviously right now you turn on the news, there's lots of rough stuff out there and people need some, need some fun stuff. Out there. So Fingers crossed that it will work out. Obviously, Mac and I are going to say enjoy the games because they're going to be a lot of fun when they get going. Yeah, so that just about does it for this episode. I want to thank Matt for coming on. As usual, we hope you enjoyed it. Center Ice is presented by the National Podcast Network. You can find us and many other great podcasts on their website. Also, follow them on Twitter at NationalPodNet.